0: Hey, Highland. Uh, Welcome. We're glad you are with us this morning. Uh, My name is Matt Pinson. I'm here with David Sessions, and we are excited to be talking to Jordan Harrell. Uh, Jordan grew up at Highland, and uh, that's right, isn't it, for the most (laughs) part? Uh, And uh, many of you know her still from her online community. If any of this is bad, I oh, like. I love, We can. I love I'm totally Plo- winging it. I love, so you're
1: doing a really good I love job, Kev.
0: Going. Going. <laughs> no, no, no. You
1: knew. I knew that. We I knew moved you grew up, when I was in third grade. But you were in Pflugerville so, yeah. before
0: that, right? So when in you start growing on, up? That's growing up.
1: Nothing counts before third grade, oh,
0: anyway. I don't even remember. I don't even it remember what me. was before third grade. <laughs> anyway, we're excited that she's here today. We're we're gonna be. excited Talking about some fun stuff. You're, I mean, it's not a secret. You're you're kind of leading a Facebook group mm-hmm. where people are kind of going through some deconstruction stuff together, which is cool.
1: Right. Uh, yeah.
0: Tell us a little bit about how that came about and your own journey to that point.
1: Okay. As much
0: as you're comfortable with.
1: Okay. Um, I mean... I think everyone kind of says this, that they've probably always been deconstructing. And there's some, there's a little bit of truth to that. Um, But I think probably when Clark and I got married, we decided to go to Beltway. Um, We were still in Abilene at that time. And I think going to Beltway was a little bit of um, a step towards deconstructing at the time um, because it felt like an intentional choice um, and I mean I think most people who have grown up in Church of Christ have felt the tension of ever leaving the denomination like sure you know that, that there seemed to always be a little bit of pressure um, that you stay in the Church of Christ if you're born in the Church of Christ you do not leave the Church of Christ and so stepping out into a different denomination felt really, like, huge you at were the time. You opening
0: yourself up to a new... Yes, thought, and, it,
1: and it felt... Line of thinking? Yes. It felt a little bit rebellious. Mm. Um, and a lot of that was because of, like, instrumental music at the time. Because um, it seemed like everything else was pretty similar, but there was a worship band. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't sure how... Like, my grandparents would receive that or anything like that. Your grandparents also. (laughs) Um, and so that was kind of a first step of, like, I am tired. It felt like I was tired of arguing over things that didn't feel important. Sure. Um, and so stepping into a Baptist church felt like freedom from arguing over little things. Um... Well, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be, I guess. Which <laughs> isn't isn't to say that Beltway is messed up, but we stayed in the Baptist tradition off and on for the next 10 years. Um, Clark and I, Clark's a football coach, and so we moved every year or two for the past 10 years. So we are professional church shoppers, and it is the worst um, <laughs> having to be such a consumer I mean everywhere we went we probably went to four or five churches to try to figure out which one we liked and then we had you know the conversation after church like Mm -hmm. did you like the preacher did you like the worship did you like the children's ministry and picked apart every church and then you feel like this isn't even what church is about like why you know and trying to figure out what we wanted in a church um, we did that over and over and over again. And I think from being an outsider in the church culture for the last 10 years, being a visitor over and over again, trying to fit my way into a church I didn't know people didn't grow up in, um, it's hard. It is hard to break into a church from the outside. And, you know, we moved further and further away from Highland, like geographically. And so I, every church we went to, I knew I had less connections. Mm-hmm. And so by the time we were in this last church, we entered knowing no one. Um, and trying to find our people and um, somehow attach in a way that felt meaningful was really hard. And I think a big part of my deconstruction, was because I saw the church in a pretty objective way, um, because I wasn't emotionally invested. I didn't have the relationships that I had my whole life, and so over and over again, I saw, which this sounds critical, but ways that church is coming short, sure. and way that it's really hard for. Um, people who don't grow up in the church, don't fit the mold, um, maybe don't look like me or make as much money as us or, which we don't make a lot, we're teachers, but it just felt like I was a white middle-class female who'd grown up in church my whole life. And if it's hard for me, like it's hard for everyone and bringing visitors into the church and trying to figure out how to navigate that like if I was going to bring a guest who didn't grow up in church and seeing how uncomfortable they felt um so a lot of I mean a lot of what I was deconstructing was yeah political and theological and doctrinal and all of that but also a lot of it was like the systems of the church and are we doing this right and um is this the best way if like our goal is to reach people and to love people and to show people Christ? I, I feel like we might be missing some things here because it seems like we're mostly investing in the people inside our walls Mm -hmm. and making it comfortable for the people who have been here forever. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that was like the push. And then, uh, after all the election stuff and COVID and, um, personal life messiness and, um, feeling like I was handed a formula, like if you get, if you do A, B and C, then therefore like your life is going to end up right Mm -hmm, and perfect. And it didn't end up that way. And so what do you do with that? And, um, I, I think I didn't have the language for what I was feeling. It all just felt like anxiety all the time. And so I couldn't breathe and I couldn't pray and I felt angry a lot. I, I was a really impatient mother um, because I felt like I was sending my kids to hell and I didn't know like there was so much pressure on me to raise them in a way that would guarantee their salvation, and I felt like I was failing at that. And so a lot of times I just felt like a failure. And it it all came to a culmination about a year ago. And my big question was all the racial reconciliation stuff and all of that, like, my church wasn't talking about it at all. And... They weren't talking about um, things that I felt needed to be said, um, that felt important as Christ followers, like this is the way we should love people type of situation. And it came to a head about a year ago. And my question felt, my big question was if the Holy Spirit is who the Bible says it is and does what the Bible says it does then I don't know how to reconcile the fact that the place in our country that is the most populated with churches and has the most Christians per capita also produces the most racism. And I, I struggled with figuring out how, how to figure out where the Holy Spirit was working (laughs) in the church like I kept seeing church after church after church there be um, turmoil or scandal or just honestly felt like hatred coming out of the church and and I just wanted to be like but God like if Christians have the Holy Spirit like how how does that work? Like, yeah. if you, you know, believe what
0: you say
2: you believe? Right. Are people not are being transformed? Here? Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, because it doesn't look like there's any transformation happening. It mostly just looks like humans being terrible. And so I don't know what to do with that. And um, then we came to Abilene one weekend. Two people from Highland um, I met with that weekend, and he was like, I know what you're doing. You're deconstructing. Oh. And I was like, what? I don't even know like what that means. And he had been one of my best friends my whole life and he had been deconstructing for the past like five to ten years. And he was like, Listen, lots of people are doing it. <laughs> <laughs> cool do. It's a cool thing to do. <laughs> I have all the resources. <laughs> Here's here it is. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> um, he really actually said, the phrase he used was like, when I started doing it, someone pulled back a curtain mm. and it let me in mm. and gave me all of the resources and the books and the podcasts. Mm. And he was like, there's a lot of people back behind the curtain, <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> but not nobody, not really. <laughs> yeah. But nobody wants to say it out in front of the curtain because there is a stigma True. to asking questions and admitting totally. that you have doubts. Yeah, and so he kind of gave me permission which he actually like pointed out the podcast. You have permission. Um, he gave me permission to like say these things out loud.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And once I felt like I wasn't alone, yeah. it really did like open up. I I guess it allowed me to breathe for the first time in a really long time.
2: So yeah, I'm really interested because you talked about the shame process started like giving yourself permission Mm -hmm. to ask good questions and to be vulnerable with that affects the anxiety in your body
1: one thousand percent yes i and i've kind of written about this a little bit um i struggled for a long time with taking deep breaths like for five years i couldn't take deep breaths and it would be off and on um And now looking back, it had a lot to do with um, the checklist, which, you know, you grow up in church being told over and over again, like, following God is not a checklist. Mm -hmm. But also, if you love God... (laughs) Yes, here's the list. And if you love God, then you'll do it. Mixed message. Yes. And so then as a parent... Feeling like I am, there's so many things now. Like my checklist is forever long.
2: Because it's not just your checklist now, yes, their checklist.
1: And I could not check everything off. And therefore, I don't really love God Mm -hmm. because if I did, it would feel organic and it would feel natural. And I would do it out of the goodness of my heart and out of my love for the Lord. And if I'm not doing it, then what does that mean? Um, like you just
2: like it's such a perfect image of like the my yoke is easy, mm-hmm. my burden is light, yes. and uh, unforced rhythms of grace is the message version of that. And it's like, but it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't an easy yoke, it wasn't light until you were able to like challenge some of the Christ like thing things that we put on Christ likeness yeah. that that yoke became that that yoke of love became actually light, light and easy
1: yes yes and that's the verse that has really like spoken to me Any anytime I feel like there's burden to something I feel like that can't be Christ, like Uh that can't be Christ, and I do, the last year, it just feels like the burden has become lighter, and lighter, and lighter, and that's what makes me feel like when, because many people have told me, like, you are not walking with the Spirit, and, um, the, the physical effects of that, of feeling like, but I'm lighter, Mm -hmm. and I can breathe, and I feel like I have freedom, I feel like I am free, and so much of that feels biblical, Uh and...
0: And I, I think we talked about in the formula at some point, I was like, okay, I've plugged these numbers in mm-hmm. and I've checked to make sure that they were plugged mm-hmm. in and I'm not getting, and I felt abandoned. I felt abandoned by, by God and yeah. it's like, this isn't working. And uh, and it was partly my expectations of what God was supposed to do for me, you know? and And I think that's part of growing up and not just in Church of Christ, but just in America. Yeah. I think it's hard to follow Jesus in America. Yeah. I think it's really easy to worship Jesus
2: mm.
0: and really hard to follow Jesus. And I don't know who said that. That's another person. That's not my quote. That's <laughs> um,
2: You used it
0: well. Who I don't <laughs> who I don't know. We'll add that to the We'll get a quote. Yeah. I like that. These are quotes in our notes, but we don't know where they came from. Check <laughs> the show notes. Show notes. Yeah, our end notes. But what looks like success according to Jesus and what looks like success according to the American dream are just so opposite of each other Yeah. in many ways. And we want both. And it's just hard. It's it's hard to have
1: them, and it's hard to separate them. Yeah. in the American church, like sure. I don't know what's what sometimes. Yeah. Um. In in practice, like you know, from the pulpit, like we we say it really well, but even in in the way we do church, in the way we have such like a growth mindset, and um, it's. It's all, it all feels a little bit wrapped up in an Americanized, mm-hmm. self-made man type of situation, like growing the church and getting more people. And I, I think it all has come from a really good place of wanting to share the gospel, um, I would like to think. Mm-hmm. Um, but practically what it looks like once you put so much pressure on people to grow and be better and I'm still processing Mm -hmm. that
0: thought. It's a tension I'm managing all the time. I mean, we work for a church and so I I struggle sometimes with like there's, you know, some backlash against big church and, uh, but I've spent my whole life in big churches and working for big churches Mm -hmm. and I've also seen what pooled resources can do yeah. in a community. Yeah. Like, I mean, as we were leaving, a lady was coming in who needed some help with her light bill, and we have a system set up that can help her address that immediate need mm-hmm. and can help address, hopefully, right. kind of the root yeah. of the issue. Um, because we have a person working full-time going, yeah. what's the best way to help yeah. when somebody walks in? Mm-hmm. and so you can't do that in in a, you know a church that hasn't at some point at least yeah had a growth mindset but it can also become so toxic where it's just like it feels manufactured mm-hmm. and it's uh, and so that's a tension I mean we manage in our worship meetings too yeah yeah, um, yeah. how do we honor, how do we how do we stay attractional by being? On time and by doing doing things well, and also being good news to the community, mm-hmm. being open to uh, you know what the spirit might be doing on that particular day. and yeah, uh, yeah,
1: and that's something that I think is hard for me still. I feel so Americanized that spirituality is really hard for me.
0: It is for me, too.
1: Um, yeah. And growing up in the Church of Christ also, maybe that has something to do with it. I think it's just, it's really hard for me to relinquish control of anything. Growing up in such a rigid, like, I don't want to say so, so many bad things about the Church of Christ because I really, like, love, mm. sure. love the way I grew up and um, still feel greatly indebted and honored indebted probably isn't the right word but um I never had um I loved Highland growing up Mm -hmm. and still love Highland um but I think the the need to label and have so much rigidity really did seem like a control thing yeah in our
0: tradition where we grew up and where our tradition grew up, not so much Uh where we grew up, but where like things like we're gonna speak when the Bible speaks and be silent, like everything Uh had to be black and white Uh because we had to get it right. Uh And so there was a rigidity that was certainly built out of like a a fear of doing it wrong.
2: Like what you guys are actually going to is one thing that's circling around one thing I'm really interested in, which is terms, the meaning behind the terms. So like churches of Christ uh gained their rigidity because they as broadest strokes possible um were trying to restore things mm-hmm. restore things to original Christianity. Actually the Stone Campbell movement was originally a unity movement. They're just trying to get different denominations to say what we agree on. Um, and restoration is really important. It was important to Martin Luther. (laughs) It was important to Stone and Campbell. It's important to us. And Mm -hmm. uh, Jordan, I think that's one question I have for you is like, what do you do with the two terms, deconstruction and restoration? Because in your autobiography and reading some of your stuff, getting ready for this, it's so clear that you have a love for Highland, a love Mm -hmm. for Jesus and the Jesus way of life. And so like, I'll say this and you can tell me if it fits or not but like it doesn't seem like you're deconstructing so much of your faith Mm -hmm. but you are wanting faith leaders to lead restoration Mm -hmm. and so how do you like differentiate between those two terms are they the same are they sometimes not the same is there part of your faith you're deconstructing um, versus like wanting the church to be restored yeah how do you manage all that
1: I I do think i deconstructed, like, um, what's important, maybe. Um, And so things that are non-negotiables, it felt like at first everything was a non-negotiable. And so if everything's a non-negotiable and one of those things is not fitting well, then, um, you know, to borrow from was... Uh, should I say the Bell's quote. name? <laughs> Unknown quotes. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. The tower fell. Um, like if you if you build a a tower of cards and you take one out and everything just crashes and burns. Um, a an analogy that I use is that I built a dam, and anytime I had something that didn't fit, I would put it behind the dam until one day the dam could not hold anymore and just completely wiped out everything. Mm -hmm. And now trying to take what's important and what is necessary and rebuild my faith with, thankfully, knowing I had a solid foundation, because I do think I really had a solid foundation. Um, I think Highland gave me a solid foundation. My parents gave me a solid foundation. Um... And so a lot of the things that I built, you know, my my sparkly tower is what I like to call it, that I built a sparkly tower of faith that was all things that I thought at the time was really important um, and made me really proud. Like, I think I got a lot of um, personal, like, self-fulfillment from knowing that my tower was really good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm like the best of best. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: yes. And comparing my tower to other people's towers and thinking, you know, like, well, you know, I listen to Christian music a little bit more than, You're than just they pretty do. pretty good. Right. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> um, but now, now having. Um, the solid foundation to be able to rebuild, but maybe it looking completely different. Um, And I do, like you said, I do really feel like restoration is important, and I do love the church, and I do find value in the church, and I do think one of the the non-negotiables is a community of faith. And trying to figure out how to do that now in a way that I guess is healthy. Because the last few years, church has not felt healthy to me. It has felt like a burden.
2: Yeah, it sounds like one of your questions is, can I find a place that will love me loving others? hmm And it's been hard to find. hmm
1: hmm
2: Which is brutal mm-hmm. for someone who's taking Jesus' message seriously.
1: hmm
2: because, like, I do think the terms are important, uh, and I think that they're 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 separate. Maybe this isn't important, but like, deconstruction, I think, is a totally healthy, necessary part of mental, psychological, spiritual development. Um, I like what Richard Doris says that you have to start conservative, you have to have something to build, so that you can tear it down. Mm-hmm. Um if you start with nothing you can't like you don't have anything to tear down that's like yeah. really hard. Um but like deconstructing the essentials of faith is maybe similar but it's different than man I really want the church to be the church. I really want the church to be Followers of Jesus, yeah. Um, who was accused of, uh, you know, kind of similar to your autobiography, like Jesus was accused by the religious elites of loving um, those that were not acceptable inside yeah. the temple. And so, man, why is why is church become the new temple, right? Why why yeah. is it that there's people that are acceptable and not acceptable, and you know, we don't turn people around, but we don't necessarily uh, fold people in. Who um, who aren't doing the list right, and so
1: I feel all of that.
2: Yeah, you
0: know, one thing that we talked about when people are are deconstructing, I mean, a lot of time, a lot of my group of people that I know who are going through deconstruction are similar to you, and it's like I believe in Jesus, and I want to I want to live in a way that reflects that, and. I want to be a part of a church that is also doing that, yeah. Yeah. you know? And it's hard because, I mean, there are really good people at Highland who I would disagree with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on theological things that are important to me. Yeah. And, uh, and part of me also wants to believe that it's important that I go to church with those people too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that if I'm going to be about everyone belonging, then everyone has to belong. <laughs> <laughs> right, you can't kick out yeah. certain people. And yeah. that's really hard. Um, yeah. But one of the things, oh yeah, I remember. One of the things that I, I want to tell people who are who are kind of in that season is like, I hear you, I feel you. Please don't leave. Please don't leave. Mm-hmm. Like we need critical thinkers we need people who are not afraid to ask questions to help mold the church
1: yeah.
0: into the into the church it needs to be. Because part of the reality of church in America is that it needs money to operate, and we may just cut this part out because this may just be a step too far. Like it needs money to operate, and it needs people who can give money, and if only the people who are left yeah are thinking a certain way then it's hard to speak truth into those people's yeah. lives yeah because it's like I can tell the truth and make these people mad and they can all leave and then there's no church and then there's left. yeah um, and in some ways in some churches I just go I wish that would happen yeah. but not the one that I work and <laughs> <on. laughs> nope. Um.
1: yeah yeah so the church the church that we were at last um, because that was that was my hard conversation with my husband for a year was um, because he's a football coach right and for the last two years he's been a head football coach and all he gets all the time are criticisms Uh and people coming in who are a part of the program because they're a parent and saying this is what you're doing wrong yes yes (laughs) these things need to change yes (laughs) (laughs) right and so you know from his perspective he's very much like the church is not perfect, but we need to partner with the church and love the church towards that vision. And, um, meanwhile, we're at a church that I really feel like, but what if you just completely feel like this is not a safe space for certain people?
0: Sure.
1: And so if, If I'm giving my money and I'm sitting in the pews every Sunday and I'm, I'm, I mean, am I, am I giving them permission to continue with harmful theology and trying to decide that balance of I love the church and I want the church to be better um, and I'm trying to figure out how to do that in a way that is, healthy for everyone, yeah. but um, I don't know. Because that's hard. We we ultimately, I decided, you know, I, I think at this time in our life, and the time in my deconstruction, going to church every Sunday is more harmful to me than it is helpful. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, and we had had conversations with church leadership. I had had conversations with church leadership. Um, and I, it felt to me like it was like a, man, we appreciate where you're coming mm-hmm. from, but it's going to be like a hard no on, <laughs> on but what bye. you're suggesting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so. I think
2: the church culture, like Western culture in large, has like really taken advantage of people's willingness to ignore their emotional health. Mm-hmm for the sake of loyalty. Um, You know, like, we kind of don't tell abused women that they should really stay in their marriage anymore because that's what God would want. Uh, Because I think eventually we're not believing that anymore.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, And I don't... uh, The churches I've been a part of, I'm not aware of, like, pure, malicious um, abuse. But, like, I do think we take advantage sometime of... um, this tension we're talking about between like um, I want to be faithful, I want to see the church become the bride of Christ, mm-hmm. um, but it's actually more harmful to me, like you were saying, um, than than staying with it. And so, you know, is there a realistic future in which churches can like do good conflicts with? their members yeah. where we're like okay you've got a real complaint um, and again I'm not talking about like emotional physically like I'm talking about the church believes one thing a loving trusted member believes something else is there actually a room for conversation anywhere in the church system because yeah like sometimes you shouldn't be in a toxic relationship and if yeah. that's with the church if we really love people like we should set them free to not you know not be in that but what seems to be really lacking maybe because we're like just taking advantage of, well, people will be loyal and they'll ignore this toxic feeling that they're feeling. Mm -hmm. So is there a place where people can actually say, I have real concerns with what's going on here um, and be heard in a way that what we would hope like a good marriage would some like both parties would be heard. Um, I think that's one thing that we want from the podcast is like to, to have a space for that. But yeah. um, it seems like it probably should be more, too. Yeah. So, so right, if someone's actually calling, begging for restoration, uh, or if someone's really uh, in deconstruction, are there places for people within the body of Jesus to... In that conversation of I, I need restoration, I need I need deconstruction questions. Yeah, um, and I don't I just don't know what that looks like yet.
1: Yeah, I I do think Highland Highland feels like a safe space for that to me as an outsider yeah. looking in. Um, now maybe I'd feel differently if I was a member right now, but um, even um, like, cause I'm still close to several people at Highland, um, and the support and the love that I've received from those people throughout the last year, um, versus a lot of the people from the other churches I've gone to in the last 10 years. Like it feels, it's a different feel from the people that are from Highland than from other places that we've been members at. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah. Hey. Uh, yes. Good to be good yeah, and even I mean I haven't I've only been to Highland maybe like once or twice in the last few years, but we were there on Sunday, and the the tone I think of what is coming from leadership on stage feels different to me than the tone that I get that I have received the last few years, and the thing that I kept saying to Clark. The last year or two was that it feels like church has become a safe space to talk about how sinful everybody else mm-hmm. is and not a place where we talk about our own stuff. For sure. And that tone was one of the biggest turnoffs to me and is something that I don't get from mm-hmm. Highland. That And y'all, y'all can speak to that obviously better than no, I can. <laughs>
0: No, I think you're right. We are really good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're welcome. So you alluded earlier to like uh, when the dam broke, Mm -hmm. everything was on the table. Yeah. Um, And that was like maybe a year or or, or so ago. What do you feel like right now, um, faith-wise, I am struggling through, I'm, I'm having a conversation with myself or otherwise, like what... What is something that is on the table for deconstruction for you right now?
1: On the table?
2: Yeah, what's safe to question right now? For what's
1: you? safe to question? Okay. Um, oh, man. <laughs> I'm trying to decide what's safe to say out loud. Um, atonement theories are on the table for me. Um, penal substitution uh, is really hard for me right now. Um, I mean... On the table to to deconstruct is is almost harder to name everything than just like what am I still holding onto? Okay. Because um, a lot of things are on the table. Uh, that one though, um, like what happened on the cross, like yeah. that feels really important as far as like what what the outflow of that yeah.
2: is. We talked about that. Uh, we talked about that his quest to an class right now. In fact, he asked that very question what yeah. happened the moment of the cross. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great question.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And penal substitutionary time theory in broad strokes is uh, the world was sinful, the world is stained. Um, to go be with heaven with God, we need the stain removed. So God sent his perfect son mm-hmm. to remove the stain, and the only way for that to remove stain was to die to be the new atoning sacrifice and mm-hmm. Jesus's blood washed us uh that's my most generous yeah version of that yeah I'll admit I also have some serious, serious problems with that but like what what part of that stopped working for you
1: the wrathful God I had a hard time with that um and I think a lot of the um like Quest towards perfectionism for me came out of this idea of that I was never going to be good enough, mm-hmm. um, and this idea that um, I'm just born a terrible human. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was hard. I think the the idea that God just despised humanity so much that He would need to have a human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, to rescue us from our own awfulness like you know there's a part of that that's like then why create us in the first place yeah. you know like what's the point if we're so bad and like there needed to be a catch and mm-hmm. there needed to be a murder mm-hmm. like a brutal tormenting murder in order for you to fix the thing that you created at the very beginning
2: right if God hates violence mm-hmm. why did violence solve it
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brutal. Bloody.
2: Thin, <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah. God loves humanity so much. Why did the human God? Um, how does that make sense? How, does that, yeah. how do we square that? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Good and. Yeah, and and I think a lot of um, like, it takes it takes so much of the blame off of the humans. <laughs> you know it was like it was like well yeah what if we just look at it like completely like you know take away all of the theories and just see it as this moment in history where this guy came and offended everyone and said things that were completely counter their spiritual you know truths and it it Made them so angry that they were willing to kill him. Yeah. Um, but that was always God's plan, and He had to do it. He had to die. From the
2: beginning of time. Yes. The Word that was with God, the Word that created the world with God, uh, was predestined to mm-hmm. to encounter this awfulness. Yeah. 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 Why? Yeah. 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 Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. I think I'm in a place where I, like Matt said, I'm, I'm, I'm come to terms with that, um, not being true, and mm-hmm. I feel like I've, I found a, an answer that works more for me. But like my concern is like again, I could come back to this. Well, where do we talk about that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where yeah. do we, where do we struggle with that? And if we're creating communities where, well, you don't ask about that. Like, that's, that's the one, like...
1: That's off the table. Yeah, don't ask about that.
2: It's just, mm-hmm. it was God's plan. We don't question God's plan. Um, if all we ever do is jump to answers and we don't allow for critical conversation, we don't get to better answers.
1: Yeah, right. Um,
2: and I have to be aware of, like, the privilege I had to go spend a lot of school, a lot of time in seminary where I was in a very safe place to not believe any of it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And around people who have studied their way out of faith and studied their way back into faith and all of that was really really intellectual for me um, which is another privilege I didn't have to face deconstruction because something life crushing happened Um, but like when life crushing stuff happened I had this gift of like having better theology and I just don't see where the average guy or gal in in the pew is giving that privilege that I got to where yes. like, when something truly awful happened, I had a mental model to be like, no, no God still loves me. Mm-hmm. And God hasn't abandoned me in this awfulness. And I think for me, that's like the truly tragic part of churches not allowing or, or being afraid of the deconstruction conversation is like, people are dying.
1: Yeah.
2: Like emotionally, spiritually, people are just dying and we think that what they need is us to re articulate the answers.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When it's like, no, no, th- those answers failed them. Um, and I, it, just, it kind of breaks my heart. Like, where, where is the space to, to re educate? Um, yeah. Because when you have a large church, even classes are m- often more monologue than discussion. And so, sure. where does a big church get to say, like, oh man, this tentpole of our faith, we need to re-examine it and yeah. come up with a better one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of, you know, I talked a lot about like the structures of the church and where that kind of um, was one of the things that I kept questioning um, was because I kept encountering, you know, like listening to Mars Hill podcasts and the Hillsong documentary and and that was more recent, but like yeah. then actual churches that i knew of of you know there being these falls from grace where it's just like so shocking and and then thinking about like but why why are why are we centering church around a person Mm. like why how did we ever think that this kind of structure was going to be healthy um i see more of like a circular around a table discussion being a healthier way rather than one person doing all the studying and all the decision making and all the right answers right. giving it dispensing. Your
2: discipleship it. is listening and yes. retaining what I tell you.
1: Yes, and I'm bad at that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a really disembodied mm-hmm. discipleship, right? Like it really only has to live in my mind, mm-hmm. which I'm going to extrapolate this probably to the nth degree, but like, okay, can somebody with intellectual disabilities be a disciple of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Right. If, if I can't think perfectly, or can only really smart people be disciples of Jesus, or like should we think about the way that we share the gospel in such a way that like it's not just your intellectual capabilities that yeah. are being brought to the table, but all of you. Yeah. And, and again I just keep looking for the church man, where do we do that
1: yeah right and I feel like every like 18th sermon at a church is about like this is not the end of a Sunday you know yeah. like this is not the end of church your job is to go out into the world right. and be the church but then it's like you know it, but people don't and then we're like oh, people like they, they just can't get it. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. instead of saying, well, maybe this model is the problem, yeah. rather than people, humans are just not good listeners yeah. and don't do what we tell them to do. Maybe people aren't being transformed, yeah. and maybe we should rethink yeah. Yeah. how we are doing it.
2: Okay, so we're, you're rethinking, like, really, like, why Jesus which is like, a good question because it kind of gets to the heart of like, the Trinity. Like, okay, if Jesus wasn't um, just a uh, substitute for all my wretchedness, yeah. why Jesus? Um, what, like, what is something maybe that you found in your reconstruction, deconstruction, that you're like, hmm, I am hanging on to that and that feels loving and good and life-giving and I'm never mm-hmm. going to give that up?
1: oh man um maybe not found but am working at finding. working towards yeah. yeah finding would be more of like a mysticism spirituality letting go of knowledge mm. type of thing. non-binary
2: mm-hmm. kind of work say more about that what's what's been a positive experience or how would you describe like what's been what's been life-giving for you about that
1: well I think I um, I think I was so bogged down with getting everything right um, so like releasing the pressure to know and to be able to... Um, explain to everyone like all the things um because a lot of a lot of growing up and then a lot of like the baptist faith also which while i was in those congregations um being a part of like children's ministry things where it is like we are giving these kids like an a b and c and um growing up with that being able to like know the answers and defend the answers um letting go of letting go of having all the answers like that i feel like i can experience god in a way that is more authentic mm-hmm. um because he's not necessarily just in one space or two spaces like he's all around me mm-hmm. and um Trying to hold on to like his love for me and how much he loves me. Like that feels so basic, yeah. but I don't, I, it was so hard for me because he loves me, but it was always like, he loves you, but mm-hmm. you know, and so just he loves me, period. Yeah. End of story. And that, that feels so freeing
2: the shorter that sentence gets the more true it becomes right mm-hmm. yeah. not he loves me when mm-hmm. she loves me mm-hmm. so it sounds like you know really discovering you're discovering that Jesus calls to be loved to, to be with him to become a follower before we ever do mm-hmm. those things and to prioritizing being before doing
1: yes yeah and if I never do it well enough yeah I'm fine.
2: Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's it's near Easter. You're just like the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. who hmm never had to do it right. Yeah. Before he was welcomed right. into love. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's, um, personally, it's something I, it's like, one of those things, like, yeah, I want this to be one of those new tent poles. Like, this is what I want. But I, I have to constantly relearn it. I have to constantly yeah. center my life around... Uh, Letting that be true instead of, um, yeah, white knuckling performance, and mm-hmm. then expecting that out of my my people that I love, my wife and my kids. Like, you, you also need to be doing these things, it, yeah. and gotta constantly come back to like giving myself and others permission to and the time and the space to to experience the love of Jesus yeah. before anything else.
1: For sure and and that like the health of my marriage mm. since not feeling like <laughs> my husband has to perform a certain way or be a certain way or lead a certain way mm. um, like and I told him this the other night I was like, you know I never even like I would have never told you all the ways that you were failing. Mm. But I did think that you were failing in a lot of ways, <laughs> um, and you probably don't even. You, I would like to think that you never felt that. You probably did. You, but now just not, not, not feeling like man. Like I wish, I don't know. Like giving him the grace and the space to not be the perfect husband and the perfect Christian and do everything the right way. Like I think I had an idea of what he was supposed to be like as my spiritual leader and as my spouse and letting go of that and just being like, I love God and that's going to be enough. God loves me and God loves you and that's going to be enough. Um, Oh my goodness. Like I just, I feel like we like each other so much more because I'm not putting that pressure on him.
2: Right, right, and um, you're then in turn not needing his performance to then redefine you. Mm-hmm. Right, so like this is like emotional self-differentiation. We don't talk about how emotional health and spiritual health are so interconnected. But, yeah. um If if our circles are if we're connected, but like I don't I don't need my spouse to perform so that I can feel loved by God. Yeah. Then magically we both get to be loved by God yeah. like in an instant right um, It's that prioritizing the being of myself and others before they ever have to do anything. Um,
1: yeah
2: which like you know a lot of your story you that was a that was not part of the story that you got told yeah nor me so yeah. yeah. that's yeah. been there for a long time.
0: we talked well we did talk about <laughs> we talked about some and you talked about some more like where your expectations were mm-hmm. about like, this is what my life looks like if I'm following God and I'm doing things right. Yeah. And one of the hardest things f- for me, you don't have to call out, Jim and Jody, but like growing up, it looked like the formula worked. Yeah. You know, wow. like my parents did these things. We went to church all the time. And their life seemed pretty good to me as a kid growing up right. in the Pinson household. And it's like, okay, so if I do those things then this is kind of the life I can expect. Right.
1: That's the outcome.
0: And uh, it was actually way harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't easy at all. Yeah. And uh, and it probably wasn't easy for them yeah. either, mm-hmm. but it looked pretty good from my standpoint. Right. Yeah. And so that was a big shock to my system, to being like, why is the, why did it why work for it them? It do not work for me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well... Jordan, we're uh, happy that you're moving back to Abilene. Yes. I am happy. Me too. Um, Happy to have you back in A-Town, or even Wiley if you'll end up out there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) gosh. Oh, but anyway, thank you for your your courage to talk about these things, because this is hard. Um, And thank you for your willingness to talk about it with us. And when we cut this all up, I'll uh, make us all look good as much as possible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
2: don't know why I have like I have to cover my face because when Matt's like when switches Matt's, into like official mode when Matt's in charge and when Matt's the adult in the room, it's just so funny. <laughs> yeah. But he's good Matt at it. It happens <laughs> so rarely. Uh, right. Uh, no, seriously, thank you. I I really love this conversation. I. Thanks for loving Highland enough to be vulnerable and share part of your story. And yeah, for sure. um, Bye. Bye.